Black True Crime is a podcast that researches and discusses murders committed by Black offenders. It is a podcast that everyone and anyone is welcome to enjoy, but it's also a podcast that may not be welcomed by anyone and everyone. So listener discretion is advised. Now, without further ado, this is Black True Crime. So before we start this episode, I just want to let you guys know that the audio is kind of shit. Um, We tried a new program to record on and we hate it. So we're going to go back to what we know and what we like. So thank you in advance for working with us on this episode. We'll be back to normal next week. Alrighty, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Hi. (laughs) I hope... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I hope everyone's having a great day. I'm Kayla, your host. And I'm Kristen, the co-host, officially now. I'm yes, a co-host. It's, yes, it's official. She'll just be here every time if she can stop moving, for God's sakes, while we record. Spirit fingers! Oh my God, you're moving. I know you're moving. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this case is going to be a fucking doozy. It's gonna do you wrong every way possible, so... Grab a drink. We're sober, but mm-hmm. we <laughs> we wish we weren't. So let's get started. <laughs> in 2002, a local newspaper in St. Louis, Missouri, received a letter and a map from a serial killer that had been terrorizing the streets of East St. Louis and its surrounding area. He not only thanked a specific reporter for covering the cases, but he pointed him to the location of his next story, a new victim. Join us as we discuss the Mr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde sides of the streetwalker stranger named Maury Travis. Thank you to listener at underscore the blackest lily for recommending this case. Yes, girl. Thank you very much. This was hell. But thank you for the trauma. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So Maury Troy Travis was born on October 25th, 1965 in St. Louis, Missouri to parents Sandra and Michael. So later on, it's going to come out that his nickname was Toby, and we're just going to call him that because I'm not trying to fix my lips to say Maury this entire time. Okay? Thank you. Because <laughs> she's lives lazy. In Car- okay, yeah, that part. And, like, my lips, come on! Okay, he lived in the Car Square public housing complex, which was just northwest of downtown. So that means it wasn't the best area to live in. But he wasn't there for long because when he was 10, his family moved to a single-family ranch-style home in Ferguson, Missouri. And the photos will be on the Instagram. Kristen, you can go ahead and look at them now if you want to. I have been already. Thank you. Look at her. She's so impatient. (laughs) (laughs) Three years later, in 1978, Maury's parents got divorced. And his mother would remarry but then get divorced again in 1993. I don't even know why I included that. I don't give two shits about his mother. Whoa, that was a lot. Well, she deserves it, and we'll we'll get to it. Mm-hmm. Like literally at the very end. So just stay. Oh with wow! Us. So I have to hold on this entire time. Thank you, yes. Kayla. You're welcome. You're welcome. According to a Fuck neighbor off. of the. Okay. <laughs> okay. 
according to a neighbor of the home who knew Toby by the nickname Toby. He was a pleasant child with a soft heart who would sometimes mow her lawn without her even asking him to and even showed her how to use an electric hedge trimmer, which, I mean, probably isn't that difficult, but I just think she was trying to speak to his character as a child. He was a good kid. Mm -hmm. She said the boy that she knew wouldn't have hurt a fly. That's how they all start. Other neighbors, on the other hand, could barely even remember Toby, like, at all. <laughs> yeah, I think it was mostly because he was so quiet and withdrawn from people that he just simply didn't stand out enough for them to give a shit. Not even one little, little dingleberry of a shit? Yeah, no, it's they're not a dingleberry of a shit. Can I throw up now? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, did she not catch that? Like, oh my god. I got it. It was disgusting. I just, yeah. My brain is on other disgusting things that we're going to get to. Oh, God. Yes. In 1982, Toby started high school at McClure High School. And McClure. that was in the Ferguson... That was in the Ferguson Florissant School District, which I think actually our parents went to school in, too. Yeah, small fucking world. Because remember, guys, we're from St. Louis, so. Right. Mm -hmm. Not Ferguson, but like St. Well, Louis. not Ferguson, but like that's like the suburbs of St. Louis. Yeah, like the era. The era. The era. Mm-hmm. And when asking prior students if they'd remember Toby, almost all of them said no. He was so quiet and kept to himself so much that even he, if he was pictured in the yearbook, like if he was in someone's picture or that type of thing, they wouldn't even include his name. That's a damn shame. I don't even expect my neighbors to know who I am, but nobody at my school knows who I am. Like, was I a mouse under the rug? Exactly. Exactly. But one retired English teacher named Sue Hanan remembered him and he was in her basic English class. And she said that Toby was so very quiet and withdrawn. It was kind of strange, like incredibly quiet for a teenager. She said, quote, even the quiet ones can be noisy sometimes, but not him. If he went to a school with other black folks, we're going to be looking at him like, why don't you speak? <laughs> like, like mm -hmm. it just be suspicious. Yeah. And if anything, they'll just pick on you for being so quiet. So exactly. I don't know. But I don't know if he went through bullying or experienced any of that. It wasn't in my research. So who knows, really? Mm. In 1985, he graduated from high school and immediately joined the Army Reserves, where he served two years in the military. He worked as a medical and dental assistant in the Army, but he also worked for different trucking companies in the area and got a job at a nursing home. So basically, he was just working, okay? He was a working man. A busybody. Yes, yes. He was about his coin, okay? After leaving the military at 22 years old, he enrolled in a college called Morris Brown College in Atlanta. And it's the first college in the whole state of Georgia to be owned and operated independently by African Americans, which is yes. Yes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Spear fingers. Absolutely. Spear fingers. Good God. What year is it, Kristen? Help me out. <laughs> I just have these random spurts where I like to think, say old things. Like, yeah, like really like to so date this, yourself. On today's episode of BTC, the word for the day is spear fingers. Good God. Okay. The school only had 2,000 students at the time, and according to records, this was around the time that Maury Toby became addicted to, guess, cocaina. Cocaina. And during the college spring break of March 1988, Toby was so broke 
that he needed to do something a little bit drastic to fund his $300 a day coke habit. My good God, how much coke you get? How much does coke cost? But back then in the 80s, 90s, early 90s, that's a lot of money for some coke. Yeah, it. I mean, coke is coke is expensive. And to be fair, he's probably doing crack. And we all know it should be less expensive. Mm, mm, I mean, it does, just because they cut it doesn't mean they're going to charge you less for it. Let's you not talk about. Cutty. Let's not talk about the economics of drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong so, show for that, guys. Yeah, Wrong show yeah. for that. We don't do that here. So he decided to rob five shoe stores in eight days in the Ooh, north Lord. and west St. Louis County areas. Yeah, he was. He got down and busy, and he used, I guess. What he described as like a toy gun, which I don't think they were ever really able to prove. But, you know, toy gun or not, you're basically you're armed robbing people. Right. Say the numbers again. He are, he robbed how many stores in how many days? He robbed five shoe stores in eight days. Damn. Yeah. He was going back to back. Yeah. He wasn't playing any games. He needed that money, honey. For that crack. What a crack! Police were able to arrest Toby based on a car description of, that a witness gave. And when he was arrested, police described him as, quote, not being your average criminal. He was mm-hmm. very calm, respectful, and reserved, which is like piss off. A lot of crazies aren't like loud <laughs> as hell, you know? Hashtag crazies. <laughs> yeah, hashtag crazies. Mm-hmm. On July 5th, 1989, Toby pled guilty to the robberies and at sentencing six months later, pleaded to the judge for leniency. He claimed that the only reason he even committed the robberies was because of his drug habit and that it was just a lapse in his judgment. I'm like, he's honest. Well, come on now. Every drug addict has robbed someone because of their drug habit. Right. Like, that's really why you're here. Exactly. (laughs) He told the judge that he'd gone through a drug rehab program and, quote, got all that stuff out of my system. Lies. Bitch. Lies you tell. He even received a letter from U.S. Representative William Clay, who wrote the following on his behalf. <clears throat> I have known Mr. Travis and his family for a number of years, and I feel he is a deserving of special consideration in this matter. Since January 1988, Mr. Travis has conducted himself in such a manner as to pose no threat to society. I am pleading that he be given leniency and probation with the condition of voluntary service at a charitable community agency. <laughs> I'm like, is it 1992 or 1942, Kayla? Which Fuck one? Fuck you. How about Which that? Which one? Forget you. <laughs> I'm surprised okay? I even let you finish that. I, I won somewhere in my head. <laughs> but when Clay was asked later on about Toby and his family, he had no recollection of them and said that he'd literally mm. written thousands of those types of letters before (laughs) which is a doggone shame william you don't even know the man and you're trying to have it be lenient for him he could be a whole crack case which he is also why are you writing all these letters this often to people you don't know i have questions (laughs) okay (laughs) after only being locked up for two months Toby wrote a three-page letter to the judge, basically sucking him off, asking for leniency again. Now, mind you, despite the letter that William Clay sent on Toby's behalf, the judge still sentenced him to 15 years in prison. 
Okay. Good God. Yes. And he was only 23 years old at the time. Yeah. So after only being locked up for two months, he wrote this letter to the judge begging him for leniency again. And here are some of the excerpts from that letter. <clears throat> Daily and hourly. Also at any given. Actually, I'm going to make him sound like a bitch. Hold on. Okay. <clears throat> Daily and hourly, also at any given moment, I think of taking my life. The conditions here are excruciatingly tormenting, to say the least. Staying in my cell and crying myself to sleep most every night will not help, but it's so very hard to believe this has happened to me. This whole situation is horrid and phantasmic. If it weren't for such a caring cellmate, I'd very sure have committed suicide after my first date at this institution. It's like, damn, you a bitch. Like... (laughs) And what grown man, what grown sane man would sit there and write the judge a letter using the, the word phantasmic trying, <laughs> <laughs> trying to get out? Like, trying I understand him- manipulation and all of that, but I'm just saying, I don't think he was in his right mind. Mm-hmm. Or he's very good at manipulation. Oh, play the victim, why don't you? You're the one that robbed people. Several times. But you're with the a gun. Exactly. He also went on to complain about the living conditions, even more, the food, the drugs, and the homosexual rapes that were occurring. But he never explicitly said that he himself was raped. So I had to make that distinction. Mm, I don't know why. I can infer that he was. Oh my God. <laughs> By the way that he sounds, I can infer it's a high possibility. That he dropped the soap. Mm, mm, mm. Let's not let's not speculate about what his butthole has been through. Okay. <laughs> ew. Okay. Yeah. Ew. Okay. He told. He told the judge. Okay. Okay. Yes. He told the judge that quote, "You sir are my last hope. Please give me another chance in society. Please." Mm. And then, and then he asked the judge to change his 15 year sentence to a 120 day or 180 day shock incarceration. Mm. If you don't know what shock incarceration is, it's something sometimes offered to first time offenders that allows them to just serve a short amount of jail time in the hopes that the experience will basically scare them straight to where they'll never commit a crime again, which I think does not fucking work. I mean, maybe for like 15 year olds, not no grown man. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. The judge did not give a fuck about this letter and his sentence stayed the same. He was, however, paroled after serving only five years and three months behind bars. Okay. Despite having 13 conduct violations while he was in prison, the Missouri Department of Corrections said, quote, they just weren't particularly significant, which I need mm. more background information about that. Absolutely. 13 infractions? Like, that's a bit much. It sounds like he has a problem with authority. Or a cult so problem. I'm- like, maybe he was still trying to do drugs in there. Oh, yeah. That's definitely what happened. <laughs> So on June 14th, 1994, he moved into a duplex in the 8800 block of Lucas and Hunt. Our parents used to live out there. Okay. Like back in the day, you guys. Back, back, back in the day. Mm -hmm. But apparently he wasn't a problem there either. I read somewhere that a woman named Linda Harris, which they named her as Reverend Linda Harris. So like, okay, miss. 
she was a direct neighbor of Toby, as in, like, they shared a wall, and she said she never had any issues with him. She described one time where she went downstairs in the basement of the building alone to do laundry, and when he came downstairs without her knowing, she said, quote, He startled me, and he was so apologetic. He said, Oh, Miss Harris, I'm so sorry. Hold on, pause. Are we in Alabama, Georgia, back in the 1892s? Like, Kayla, where are these, where are these accents coming from? Kristen, just roll with it. <laughs> okay, I'm feeling something. I'm letting something come over me. You feeling it in your spirit? Okay. No, well, don't bring ahead. my spirit into this. I just feel, I feel I need to do something to cope with the horrendousness of this case. Okay, well, let me play into it. I want to read something. <laughs> in an accent <laughs> okay i'll let you read a letter that comes later and she said from that point on if he came down the stairs he would hum a little tune so she knew he was coming he even spent time with her son zebra and they drank like beers together they would hang out in front of the house and stuff like that zebra even said quote i don't have anything to say bad about him. period in 1998, Toby went back to jail for violating probation by possessing drugs and was released one year later and started working at some restaurants. He went back to jail for violating his probation again with drugs in 2000 and was back out by March 2001. In the summers of 2001 and 2002, he was working as a waiter at Mayfair Hotel in downtown St. Louis. So this man had a drug problem, okay? And it didn't stop when he was kissing the judge's ass trying to get out early right this was an ongoing thing in his life he was a frequent offender exactly a co-worker of toby named david Witcher became relatively close to him and said that toby would even counsel him on the dangers of drugs dave said that toby told him that crack and heroin were the worst things that god put on this earth which like first god didn't put crack and heroin here he put people here and then they put crack and heroin here but <laughs> You know, I guess guilty by association. So like, I don't but know. let's get that right, sir. That's an important distinction. God didn't do that. You did yeah, that. You did that. <laughs> Dave also said that Toby wouldn't shut the fuck up about his pride and joy, a 2000 black Mitsubishi Eclipse. Mm. I don't have a picture of that because I didn't give a shit about the car. Mm. He would even tell Dave how to wax his car, how to take care of the engine, and just basically just upkeep stuff like that. He was just obsessed. And I'd probably be proud, too, because I was just in jail in 2000. And now in 2001, I have a 2000 Black Mitsubishi. Like, that's something to be proud of, I guess. Girl, you scared me. I was say, when was you in jail? 2004. I'm like, how are you going to switch over to that type of talk so quick? I forgot oh what you were talking God. about. Okay. okay. That was five. So there's a difference. An important Whatever. difference. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> hey, you guys. I just wanted to take a quick break from the episode to ask you, are you a creator or are you just interested in creating something that you like that no one else has created before like a phone case a shirt even a mask with a certain picture or slogan on it well i'm here to tell you you can use printful to do everything and more shipping over 1 million items per month printful allows you to create your own designs and implement them in any way that you want to you can print on demand which just means creating a business with zero inventory 
and shipping them out once you get orders. Or you can just make your own type of custom orders that you want to wear for yourself. From t-shirts, hoodies, coffee mugs, hats, to even engraved jewelry, you can do it all with Printful. Use our code BTC podcast, that's B as in black, T as in true, C as in crime podcast to get a discount on creating something for the world or just for yourself. Okay, now back to the episode. So now we're going to talk about the murders. No fucking laughing in this part. It really upsets me that I can find out more information, more pictures, all that type of stuff about the piece of shit that killed these women that I can about these actual women. So just bear with me. It's 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 rough. There will be pictures on the Instagram. Please proceed with caution when you're looking at them. There's a video as well. It's pretty graphic. And yes. All right. Here yes, we go. guys. It's very graphic. Just protect your souls and be prepared for some tough shit to look at. Because I saw it. It's bad. July 31st, 2000, the body of Mary Shields, 61-year-old woman, is found in East St. Louis, which the police initially thought was Maury's first victim. April 1st, 2001, so almost about, almost a full year later, the body of 34-year-old Alyssa Greenway was found in Washington Park. Three days later, on April 4th, a 44-year-old woman was found almost beaten to death in East St. Louis, but she was never able to identify her attacker to police. Thank so God she was she alive. Yeah. Yeah, she survived. May 15, 2001, the body of Teresa Wilson, 36, is found in West Alton. May 23rd, the body of 46-year-old Betty James is found in St. Louis, and there was a tire track on her left leg, which would later be tied to Toby's vehicle. So now we're finding bodies days apart from each other. Yeah, like that one was like about two weeks. No, like a week. Yeah, a week apart. Wow. About a month later, on June 29th, the body of 36-year-old Verona Thompson is found in West Alton, just 16 feet from where Teresa Wilson was found. Like, he's really getting bold now. Like, holy shit. Like, forget giving an actual F about getting caught. Like, he's like, nope, I don't have anywhere else to drop the body, so I'm just going to drop it here. Yeah, literally, he doesn't give two shits about concealing the bodies, nothing like that. Two months later, on August 25th, the body of Yvonne Cruz, who is 50 years old, is found in East St. Louis. Police were able to link Maury's DNA to her rape kit. Um, they found some semen in her, and yeah, it was it was Toby's. Hmm. October 8th, the body of 33-year-old Brenda Beasley is found in East St. Louis, and she also had some semen inside of her, and they did a rape kit, and they found the semen to match Toby. January 30th, 2002, an unidentified woman's skeleton is found near Mascouta. I don't know how to pronounce that. And they were able to connect her death with Toby as well, which I was trying to figure out when she may have died. In St. Louis, it's very, very cold in the, in the wintertime. So I don't think she was killed recently to when her body was found because it would take a lot longer for her body to decay because right. of the cold. So I don't know when she could. She could have died a year ago, two years ago. We just never know. Right. She could have died in the 2000s where they found that first body. 
Yeah. Um, but even that body wasn't a skeleton, so who knows? Exactly. And if somebody does know, they didn't release the information to where I could find it. Hmm. March 11th, another unidentified woman's skeleton is found near Highland. And then two weeks later, on March 28th, another unidentified woman's body is found. And it's not a the body, body or a skeleton? The skeleton. I'm sorry. And it's found in Columbia, Missouri. Well, clearly the first, I mean, the the last three bodies or skeletons that were found could have been the first three victims. Because Poss- they were skeletons at the time. Possibly. Possibly, Pooh. Look at you. Hmm. Interesting. Now, remember, there wasn't a lot of news coverage on these cases. I mean, yeah, there was some articles here and there and stuff, and they would say, oh, a woman's body was found, but they wouldn't go too too much detail into it. They were able to dub the killer the streetwalker strangler because the women were killed all in the same way, which we'll get to later. But because these victims were mostly prostitutes and drug addicts, people just didn't give a shit, which is like, of course, our fucking society... And because they were black women, let's say that. Most of them were black women, so. Which is a huge SMH. Yeah, that still goes on today, so. But not being recognized bothered Toby. This really, really bothered him. He really wanted someone to say, well, basically, he just wanted to show, like, hey, it's me, okay? Keep talking about my cases. I want the attention. And he was Mm -hmm. just tired of being invisible, Which is like, there you go. There's a little boy inside of him that is rearing his ugly fucking head. No one paid attention to him in school. And now he's, you know, trying to overcompensate in the worst way. Right. So on May 24th, 2002, he sent a letter to a reporter at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, which is a newspaper local to St. Louis. And he included a map to where another victim's body could be found. Here is what the letter said. Kristen, you can read this letter if you want to. <laughs> Let me put on my goggles. Let's see. This <laughs> you is know what page we're on? Bill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. So the letter reads, Dear Bill, nice I thought obs- you were going to do it in an accent. Oh, true. I forgot all about it. Okay. <laughs> I was like real like, let's not fuck this up. Okay. Accent time. Okay. Dear Bill, Nice sob story about Teresa Wilson. Write one about Greenway and write a good one. And I'll tell you where many others are to prove I'm real. Here's directions to number 17, search in a 50-yard radius from the X. Put the story in the Sunday paper like the last. (laughs) Period. Like, you want to play with you? Shoot, we're back in the Westerns. Kristen, that literally sounded almost... Just the exact same as you. Like, even, <laughs> there was no difference. I got lost for a minute. Like, who am I again? And then tried to find it. <laughs> Whatever. Oh, Takes okay. practice. Okay. It is hard, Kayla. You're right. Yeah. Thank you. So give me my credit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Credit given. So naturally, the reporter, Bill, gave this information to the police, and when police went out to check where the map said the body would be, lo and behold, they found the skeletal remains of another woman killed by the streetwalker strangler. Now that the investigators know the guy that sent this letter has to be the guy that killed these women, 
they started to get to work to try to hunt his ass down. And they started with that map that he sent. So the map was created on Expedia.com and it was downloaded from Expedia.com on May 21st. So the FBI contacted Expedia.com and they're like, okay, we need to know who created this and we need to know right now. But Expedia didn't have the records to let them know who did it. So they had to contact Microsoft Corporation and the FBI hit them up, got a subpoena and said, we need these records. And on May 30th, they got those records. On June 3rd, Microsoft was able to tell them that only one computer downloaded a map of that specific area between the specified time frame, and they provided the IP address of that computer. Now, if you don't know what an IP address is, it's basically like a location device. It can tell where a computer or electronic device was located when they accessed a certain website or feature online. The FBI then had to go to WorldCom, Inc., which whatever the fuck that is, and have them identify the username for the computer assigned to that specific IP address between the dates in question. And on June 4th, WorldCom came back with the username MSN forward slash Maury Travis. Well, would you look at that? Didn't even think to cover up his damn username with something that doesn't have his full name in it. Literally, he could have gone to a public library and printed out this damn map. Lord help him. But when you're cocky and when you think you're big and bad and will never get caught, you make a mistake. And thankfully, he did. I was about to say, scratch that, Lord. Don't help him. No. Don't help him. Take him. Take him straight to hell on a slow ball. (laughs) (laughs) The FBI then had to go back to Microsoft to get the account information on Maury Travis. And they received his address along with his phone number. After watching his house for a few days and putting him under 24-7 surveillance, they were able to confirm that he lived at that address, and on June 7, 2002, they knocked on his door. So, on that Friday, police went up to Toby's home at 1001 Fort Drive and were greeted by a half-naked, half-asleep, scrawny little dickhead. Mm, mm, mm. I'm talking about Toby, if you didn't get that. A.K.A. a pimp squeak. Yeah, a pimp squeak. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's a pimp squeak, but... I know what it is. <laughs> Me think you pimping. A pimp squeak. Yeah, yeah, little bitch. <laughs> he told them that um it was 7 a.m. and asked them why they were there so early. And they Like, wow, replied, the ball's on this guy. Exactly. And they simply replied, you know why we're here. <laughs> <laughs> Kayla, that was the breathiest laugh I've ever heard you do. (laughs) Sorry. Uh (laughs) Wow. Oh, my God. Toby didn't even ask anything further and just let the police in. And he went and got dressed really, really quick. And then he came back out to the living room to talk with him. And they talked in his living room for like two hours. He had a calico cat that was walking around the house, and you know how cats are, and if you don't, they like to rub up against stuff, which that's what they were doing to the investigators. And occasionally, the investigators would reach down and pet the cat, which made Toby really uncomfortable, like visibly uncomfortable. Investigators said that every time they reached down to the cat, Toby would move closer to the edge of his seat watching them, and then he just eventually grabbed the cat and had the cat next to him for the rest of the conversation. So that's like a 
red flag to me for sure. Absolutely. They also said that Toby wasn't answering any motherfucking questions they were asking. They said they'd asked him, where are you from? And he would turn around and ask, well, where are you from? And when they asked, well, what did you do as a kid? He'd say nothing. Went to school. What did you do as a kid? So basically, he was just being a little fucking twat waffle and just wanted to be in control the whole time. A little pussy. He never asked them why they were there, though. He just asked them how they were there. Meaning, as in, like, how they were able to find him. And when investigators told him that it was because of the map that he sent in to the reporter, (laughs) he replied, that fucking computer, the damned internet. (laughs) (laughs) They then took his ass down to the station. With the search warrant police had, because they had a search warrant when they went to his house that day, they started searching Toby's house. And they found basically an entire torture chamber in his basement. Good lord. They could see where he tied the women up and where he tortured them. But the worst of it was when they found the videotapes. Hmm. What is with, like, serial killers and needing to just record it and keep it? Is, like, that equivalent to a person who has a lot of sex taking sex tapes and just keeping it? Like, is it a trophy, look at what I've done type of thing? Well, yeah, I think it's more so of, like, just keeping trophies from their conquests, you know, just documenting their disgusting actions so they can relive it later and probably fucking jack off. Literally. (laughs) Yeah. I'm glad you said it because I was going to. Yeah, yeah, we can be candid here. (laughs) Freaking freaks. Maury filmed his most brutal attacks on the women and called that collection, quote, your wedding day. Yeah. Like, who is that disgusting? Maury was. Like, do you think you're clever, Toby? (laughs) (laughs) With your little pee-pee? You think you're fucking cute? You little prick self, like, was that cute to you? Did that make you laugh when you thought of that? Like, ugh, he just makes me sick. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So from the video footage and other evidence found at Maury's home, police were able to piece together his M.O. So Maury would solicit a prostitute on the street, offering her drugs as part of the service, and then drive her back to his house in Ferguson. He would talk to them, he would give them crack or whatever their vice was, and then he'd take them down to the basement. He'd have them change their clothes, he'd make them wear like all white and put on sunglasses, which I thought was really fucking strange. Yeah, very strange. He would tie them up and then begin to torture them by beating them, raping them, verbally berating them, and starving them for days. <laughs> Once he was done, he would strangle them to death and dump their bodies on the side of the road in East St. Louis. Every investigator that watched the tapes had to undergo a psychological evaluation because the footage was so traumatizing that, quote, it would give you nightmares. I can't even imagine 
what those tapes had on them, other than this little clip it that you guys get to see on Instagram. CN here, it's terrible. I'm also going to actually play a clip of the audio right now. I'll say something to your kids. <laughs> mom, sorry. Who raising your kids? Me and my mom and dad. You ain't raising shit. You on here in your back smoking crack. You ain't going home, mom. I'm going to keep you about a week. Say it clear. You want the master? This is first kill, number one. First kill was 19 years old. Name, like, that's cringe on top of cringe on top of, oh, fuck. And it's so heartbreaking that the woman, she was sounded so, like, sad because I think part of her knew that she wasn't going to make it out of there alive. And it just really, it just, it's, it makes you sick, honestly. Yeah, because, like, even though prostitutes, you know, are literally putting themselves in harm's way in so many ways... Nobody expects to die. Like, nobody says to themselves, this is the day I could potentially die because of what I'm doing. And, I mean, if you do do that, golly, like, the balls it takes on you to still do what you're doing. Exactly. It's kind of the mindset of, like, I'm living, you know, day by day, literally. Like, you never know if you're going to make it to the next day. And technically, none of us know, but still, it's just so heartbreaking to know that a lot of these women, some of these women had children and they would just never be able to see them again. Yeah. It's not fair. I don't care who you are. You can be damn roly-poly on the side of the road to be killed and not even, like, expect it. I mean, that's just, it's just fucked up. There's no words yeah. for something like that. And killed so brutally. So, rest in peace to those women, honestly. So, down at the station... Detective Sachs spent the next three hours in the room trying to figure out how to get into Maury's head. Because this man's pretty fucked up, and he was a closed book for sure. Sachs asked him about the crimes that Maury was accused of, and he asked if they were the cause of nature versus, or nurture. So if you're not familiar with the nature versus nurture, like, conversation, which has been going on forever, it's basically saying, has a killer become this way based on how they were raised or based on their genetics and their DNA or their bloodline. Right. And with that, Maury replied, quote, you would never understand. I was born like this. I've been like this since I can remember. And I believe that wholeheartedly that yeah. he was born like that. Yeah, he was fucked up. Mm hmm. He was trapped in that head a long, a very long time. Yeah. They interrogated him for eight more hours and brought up some evidence they found in his basement. So they brought up like the restraints that they found covered with blood and the videos of the women. And he replied, quote, yeah, I knew you'd find it. He mm. just didn't give a shit. He didn't give a shit. No, no, he didn't. Police said not one time throughout their entire conversation did Maury show any remorse of any kind. The only time he showed any genuine like feelings, positive feelings was when he was talking about his mother, who mm. he seemed to be very fond of mm. creepily, probably. When Detective Sachs told him that he should do what was right and give some closure to the families of the victims, Maury simply replied, victims. Wow. And like sneered like he was disgusted. Kayla, he hated them. Yeah. He hated those women that he killed. Yeah, he saw them as scum of the earth. Yeah, he did. At one time in the interview, Maury put his head down on the table and said, quote, I'm toast. I'm toast. And that was the closest thing investigators would ever get to a confession. 
Nigga, you're burnt toast yeah. is what you are. Yeah. And even when the interviewers were changed, because mind you, Maury requested that the interviewers be changed. He said that he was so bored with Detective Sachs that he wanted someone that would be more challenging to him. Like, this is a game. Yeah. Like, like I want to level up. Yeah. Yeah. That's what he was basically asking for. And when they did change the interrogators, within 19 minutes of that interview, Maury had lawyered up. <laughs> like a little bitch. He couldn't handle the pressure. I want to know who they were. Were they women? I want to know. It was two men. Oh. Yeah. They were getting it in. Yeah. And he said, quote, I'm not going back to prison. I'm not going back. Yes, you are. Well, he didn't. Because three days later in his jail cell, despite being on suicide watch, he was found with a pillowcase over his head, his hands tied behind his back, hanging. Mm. Yeah. Mm, mm. Mm-hmm. How do you tie your own hands behind your own back? Mm. Tell me that. Mm. Unless you're ambidextrous. How do you do that? I don't see that happening. Yeah, it beats the hell out of me. But he wrote a letter, as he is known to do. I want to read it. I want to read it. Oh, no. Are you going to do it in a fun way? Yeah. You're going to make me bored. I don't want to hear it. I'm not going to make you bored. You weren't bored the last time. I was. I was just confused as to who I was trying to be. (laughs) Okay. Ready? Dear Mom, I'm sorry for the pain this has caused you and the family. (laughs) Hush. My death seems to be the only way out. (laughs) (laughs) Shut up. I'm sorry. Okay, okay. My death seems to be the only way out and a fast end to all the publicity. You are the best mother a man can have. But I've been sick for a long time, sick in the head, since I was about 14. I don't know why I was just sick. I've never felt normal or happy at any time in my life. I think about the life I led and what's ahead of me. This seems the best solution for all involved, especially me, because I won't spend the rest of my life locked up. Or worse, let them kill me with that needle. Tell Grandma, Marina, James, and everybody I love them dearly. I loved you the most, but you know that. Oh, my God. (laughs) Forever your son, Toby Travis. To whom it may concern, please give this to my mother. It's also proof that you guys didn't kill my ass. They didn't say my ass. They said, it's also proof that you guys didn't kill me. Who says that? Who the fuck says that? And also, the letter that was left was fucking typed. So I'm like, I don't know (laughs) if this isn't the actual copy of the letter, but how did he get access to a printer? Right. A computer and a printer. And a printer before he died. Something smells. And how? It's not my breath. (laughs) It might be your breast. It might be. I'm starving. <laughs> but also, how is this man tying his own hands behind his back? Okay, I'm just confused. Like, there must have been a lot of fabric in that room because not only was his hands <laughs> tied behind his back, he had a whole pillowcase on top of his head, plus whatever was hanging him. We don't know if that was exactly. a wire. No, it was, it was, um, he braided together parts of the, the sheets that he had on his bed. And then he used another part of the sheet to create the noose. And then he slid on the, he stood on the toilet seat and, I guess, jumped off. And this is supposed to be suicide watch, which means he's supposed <laughs> to take everything out that damn that cell that he with. could kill himself and with. And they failed. Something's very fishy. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And a it's t- not a vagina. <laughs> okay. Oh, my God. <laughs> what are we? terrible. Okay. Terrible joke. Okay. So, yeah, his stupid ass died on June 10th. 
2002. Wow. And after that, his mother, back to that harlot, she may have <laughs> not been a harlot, but she's definitely a fucking bitch, because she decided to keep the house, obviously, in her name, but she decided to rent it out. Ew. And she didn't tell the new renter what had gone on in that basement. And by Missouri law, you're not technically obligated to, mm-hmm. but it would be courteous. And when the woman found out, and the the reason the woman found out is because her friend was watching a true crime documentary and saw the house on there. And so she told her friend, and the friend was like, um, landlord lady, I went out of my lease because, like, a lot of people died in this house, and you didn't tell me. And she's like, uh, tough titty. I'm wow. not letting you out. Yeah. But thank God the Missouri Housing Authority worked with her, and mm-hmm. they were able to get her out of that lease, which mm-hmm. is so fucked up. But now this the house has been sold to someone in 2019 um, for an undisclosed amount. Well, say so tear that bitch down. Yeah. At the end of the day, rebuild. It's all fucked up. Yeah. I'm like, there's probably spirits in that house. You know there's spirits in that house. Yeah. Deep yeah. in the dirt underneath that house. Yeah. But there are a lot of women that still have not been identified that he killed. You know, like the skeletons and stuff like that. And upon more research, authorities think he may have killed up to 20 women. Because remember, when he wrote into the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, he said, I'm going to help you find number 17. 17. But they only found 12 connected with him. So there's still women out there. Wow. And it's really sad. And that's our case for this week. Y'all, what a doozy this one has been. Yes. And if you want to be traumatized a little bit more, please go and check out our Instagram at Black True Crime Podcast, where I posted a lot of terrible photos. And for me, I love the photos because it just makes it more real. You can hear a lot about what happened to them, but to actually see the victims and see how gruesome it really is, it just puts into perspective that you can't trust anyone and to take your safety as seriously as bitch you do the next meal you eat. Because a lot of you bitches out here are going to be playing about what you eat. And <laughs> you need to do the same thing with who you allow yourself to be around yes because it can literally be a life or death matter so protect your space people yep well that's all we have for this week thank you get a palate cleanser after this watch like some veggie tales or like spongebob drink some ginger tea Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and just relax yeah yeah we hope you had an amazing time here at black true crime And we will see you guys later. Thanks for joining in. Bye. Bye. You have a right to kill me. I have a right to do that. But you have no right to judge me.